you are looking for Reclamation Worship, you are in the right place. Reclamation Worship exists to reclaim a biblical view of worship for the church. I'd like to welcome you here. It's a great day here in Reclamation Worshipville. And why, you ask, is it such a great day? Well, it's a great day because you're going to get to hear from Matt Merker. Matt serves as pastoral assistant to his church in Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill Baptist Church. But not only does he serve his church there locally, he serves the church at large by writing gospel-centered, Christ-exalting music. And so I'm so thankful for this, brother. I really hope you uh, enjoy this uh, time that uh, I got to spend with him. And so while we did get to talk about life and how he got to where he is today, uh, we're going to jump right in and pick up on the second half of our conversation where he talks about his work in the church, for the church, and outside the church. Matt, what I'd like to do in the remaining minutes of our time together is is look at your work. And uh, and so there are three areas. I'd like to see your talk about your work in the church, your work for the church, and your work outside of the church. And so... Um, with respect to in the church, and, and before we get into that, let me let me just back up real quick and just ask you about this idea of worship, um, because that's largely what this podcast is centered around. And so um, I would just ask if you would, in your words, like according to Matt Merker, what is worship? Worship is a whole life of praise that we offer to God. Amen. So that's, that would be a broad definition, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, so it's all that we do. It, it's, it includes gathering with the church, but it includes our work. It includes loving our families, loving our neighbors, uh, lives of virtue and holiness, uh, offering all of life as a sacrifice of, of praise to God. And then corporate worship, or when the, when the church gathers, I would say we gather for exaltation and edification. Mm. Great. And I hope to talk about that just a little bit more in just a minute. Um, and it seems like a lot of times when we think of worship, we just think of the practice of singing. And so uh, so I'm thankful that you broadened that for us and, and gave us uh, a, a biblical understanding of what worship is. So um, so you said you you serve as the pastoral assistant or, or one of the pastoral assistants at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Why don't you walk us through what an average week looks like for you? Yeah, I have several different responsibilities in serving the pastors here as an assistant to those guys. So I help run the pastoral internship program. I help with a lot of the kind of behind the scenes work that we do for international missions, uh, supporting our missionaries and sending short term uh, teams abroad. And then I help with our whole service planning process and sending music out to the musicians and coordinating things of that nature. Uh, So an average week would just involve working on all that different stuff, but definitely putting uh, materials together so that the staff can meet. We meet on Tuesday afternoons to plan the services. Mark, our senior pastor, kind of puts a sketch together four months in advance of uh, the sermon texts and other scripture readings that'll take place and prayers, uh, baptism in the Lord's Supper, songs, all these biblical elements of corporate worship. And then each week on Tuesday, we'll look at the songs he's chosen and, and ask, uh, do those fit well together? Do they help reinforce the theme of the text? Uh, do we sing those songs well? Do we know what kind of, and not just the songs, but the, the, the readings, the order of it all, because the order of all the elements in a worship service is sort of telling a story. It's helping inform us about who God is and who we are. And so we'll look over all that and then I'll make the changes. I, I'll send out all the 
the material of people participating in the service, the musicians, the people leading in prayer and, and things like that. So it's a lot of behind the scenes work uh, just to try to help the people of God gather around his word each week. That's great. That's great. So I read this uh, quote by David Mathis, executive editor at DesiringGod.org, uh, in an article that he recently posted at Desiring God. And he said this, but the question is different for pastors and worship leaders who are making the choices about which confessions and lyrics to include in corporate worship. What a holy stewardship it is to choose what words will be on the lips of our people in worship. This is not a task to be mm. taken lightly. What a privilege and joy and responsibility. And th- those words of his that uh, they just struck me uh, that, that as part of that team and the team that I'm a part of, uh, we're choosing the words that are going to be on the lips of our people in worship, in corporate worship. And it's a big deal. And so um, I've, I've been to a weekender at, at CHBC and I've observed the meticulous attention to detail. So I would imagine that song selection for Sunday morning is no exception for you guys, that, that y'all spend a lot of time on this. Ah, yes and no. I mean, that's a wonderful quote. Totally affirm it. Uh, and, and it reminds me of Colossians 3.16. You know, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The songs we sing are how we let the word of Christ, the message about Christ, dwell in us richly. And so they've got to be picked carefully. Now, what we've done is we've over the years, kind of developed a list of the songs we sing, uh, which are all rich, which are all true. So, you know, we have a, a master list of songs that we draw from. And then the sort of question each week is out of those several hundred songs, and, and trust me, we don't do all those songs even in any year. You know, it's a long list. We, we don't use all of them. Yeah. Uh, but out of those songs, which ones uh, best help us to connect with the sermon text for this Sunday? Which ones best help us meditate on? on themes about God and who he is and what he's done that we need to meditate on this week. Uh, and of course we, we try to include new songs from time to time too. And we, we look at those very carefully to make sure that the truths are in line with God's word. And not, here's the thing, not just that the songs are true in that the sense that they don't have any falsehood or they don't teach any heresy. It should be a higher burden than that. It's, it's not just that they're true, but they convey truth in a way that's sticky in a way that helps us to, to love the truth and exalt the God who is truth. So it's not just sort of like taking theological propositions and setting them to music. Uh, it's actually framing it in such a way that connects the truth of our, our understanding with our head with the joy that we should feel in our hearts. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much. So so you mentioned the list of songs that, that y'all have. Uh, over the years, does it grow and grow? Or do y'all from time to time uh, take some songs away from it? And uh, so maybe one. yes. Well, functionally we do because we just stopped doing them. It's it's so hard to actually cut a song off the list and sort of let it go forever. Ah, there it falls away into the abyss. But it, it, yeah, we I mean we might stop doing a song because it's it's not that easy to sing. Uh, the congregation is struggling with it, or it you know there's other songs that say the same thing better. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say that we're constantly looking to just slash songs, you know, okay. uh, you know, every song, you know, every song that's good and true could, it could have a purpose someday. So we'll keep it on the list gotcha. usually. Okay. So you mentioned this briefly a moment ago, uh, in the planning of the service, but, uh, what other elements are vital in the worship service, uh, other than singing and, and the word of God. Uh, so, 
what, and I guess I'm thinking about prayers and creeds. So what, uh, what dictates how many prayers, if, if you read creeds, how many creeds? Yeah. I mean, the, the reformers summed it up by saying, preach the word, sing the word, read the word, pray the word and see the word or see the word summarized in the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's supper. Uh, Paul tells Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So we will have sometimes when Scripture is read. Um, and actually, we won't even instruct people to turn to the passage necessarily. Of course, they're free to. Uh, we'll have them turn to the passage that's preached on to study along. But there's a, there's a different sort of discipline of just listening to God's Word being read uh, that can be very powerful and, and help us chew on it later. Uh, so we have Scripture readings. Yeah, I mean, I think th- those are... Th- those elements, read the word, pray the word, sing, etc., are biblically mandated. We should be doing those uh, regularly to be faithful. I don't think we have to do all of them every week. For, for example, baptism, the Lord's Supper, uh, there's no biblical instruction on how frequently to do those. But uh, when it comes to how many songs, how many prayers, there's just so much Christian freedom. The Bible just doesn't say. So here we have a prayer of praise every Sunday. We have a prayer of confession, and we have a pastoral prayer of intercession. Uh, is that what you were asking? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Thank you. So, what has most shaped your philosophy of worship? Um, it, how you see your your job as uh, being involved in in leading music at Capitol Hill? Mm-hmm. What has most shaped it? Well, there's lots of things that have shaped it: good books, uh, conversations, classes, studying the Bible, obviously. But uh, if I had to pick one thing, it would it would probably be actually just the life of this local congregation that I'm a member of uh, attending here. Uh, because yeah, I didn't set up the, the format here. You know, this, this wasn't my idea to sort of structure our singing or, or our broader corporate worship in this way. Our, our pastor, Mark, uh, took some things from how the church had been had been uh, gathering historically. And then he, he added some other things and uh, gave some shape to the order of service. And so for years, even though I've been helping to kind of make it all happen in one sense, I've just been worshiping along with the whole congregation. Mm. Uh, most Sundays, I don't lead the singing. I, I do several times, uh, you know, often, or I'll play an instrument often, but I would say more than 50% of the Sundays, I'm part of the congregation sitting in the pew, praying along, listening to God's word, singing along. Uh, and it's just being formed by that process week in and week out. Uh, coming, sort of living through those rhythms of hearing a sort of three, four, five minute long prayer of confession every Sunday. Well, that's taught me how to confess my sins better. Hearing an extended prayer of praise where whoever's leading us in prayer is only praising God, not even praying, Lord, help us to praise you better, because that's really a prayer of petition. But just say, God, we adore you for your holiness and we exalt your goodness and your purity. Uh, that's just wonderfully enriching and has taught me so much about how to engage with the Lord. Uh, so I would say just, just sitting here, just faithfully attending church is probably how I've learned the most by osmosis. That's great, man. That's great. And so one thing that I was uh, thinking about when, when uh, putting that question down was uh, one thing I was most struck by at the weekender. And, um, and I would, I would encourage anybody to, to attend a weekender if they can. Um, was the you go to ninemarks.org to sign up for those. Sorry to sh- just throw in the shameless plug. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. So yeah, that'll be there. Um, but uh, one of the things that struck me most was the congregational singing and, and the power that that has. Um, 
to hear those around you who you assume are struggling with the the various trials of uh, and tribulations of life, and yet uh, yeah. they're there that Sunday morning uh, singing with with all of their heart, and um, uh, that was a powerful thing. Amen. Yeah. So. Um, so here's a question for you, and, and uh, I'm sort of baiting you on this. And uh, so, so uh, a little little warning here. Who would you say is the worship leader at CHBC? The worship leader of Capitol Hill Baptist Church is Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's an important point to make. Um, Hebrews 2 uh, talks about Christ. Uh, it's, it's quoting from Psalm 22 when it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Uh, so Jesus is singing with us. Uh, he is leading us. So in one sense, Christ is the object of our worship. In, in, one, in one sense, he's the means by which we are able to approach the Father. We're, we're only able to come to the Father as worshipers instead of as rebels and idolaters through Christ, through his work of, of mediation for us on the cross. Uh, but and, and then in another sense, Christ, through and by his Spirit, is the one who calls us to worship him, leads us to worship him. So yes, you know, I, I think it's important for us to recognize that. And then what people usually mean by the term worship leader is, who, well, it can go a couple of different ways. We have a service leader, which is uh, usually one of the pastors who actually just walks us through the gathering and explains what's going on and helps us to understand just brief comments, brief words of introduction. And then we would have what I would call more of a song leader uh, whose, whose role is to start the congregation singing, sort of indicate how the song goes, uh, show kind of through body language and facial expression the the meaning and emotion of a song as best as they can. So that's how we would do it here. I think there's lots of different ways those things can be approached. But I, I like the term song leader okay. uh, in terms of the person who is actually leading the singing. I guess it's uh, maybe an obvious point, but uh, right. uh, yeah, that's how, I would, <laughs> that's how I would do it. That's so good. And, and I guess... It, what I was getting at is, so if we call the music guy the worship leader, then what are we saying about the sermon itself or any other component of, of the worship service? Um, sure. Are we belittling the other components and, and elevating the singing? And so, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just splitting hairs, but uh, but good point that you made. I love uh, how, you, how you say that Jesus Christ is our worship leader. Amen to that. Well, yeah, and I, just to encourage you, brother, that's an excellent question. I don't think it's splitting hairs. You know, preaching is worship. It is, is, it is doxological. It brings glory to God, and it is to stir our hearts to glorify and love God. So preaching is, is part of corporate worship, and I think we need to see it as such. Uh, yeah, I, I don't like the sort of divide that we have between preaching and everything else. I think it's all part of what we do as as God's people to gather around his word, to give praise to him and to build each other up. So no, I, I agree with the point you're making. That's great. That's great. So let's, uh, let's move into your work for the church. Uh, I was able to attend my fifth together for the gospel this past April. And I have to say that Ooh, uh, a repeat offender. Uh, yeah, I know. Right? It's, it's always a great time and the singing each year gets better and better. It's or every two years. And so, uh, it's, it's really great. So, um, but man, I, I was just really 
shocked, uh, struck by the number of songs. It seemed like pretty much every song we sang in, in the credits, Matt Merker. Uh, and so <laughs> <laughs> it was just, uh, it, it was so encouraging um, to know what the Lord is doing uh, in and through you. And so let me just reel off a couple uh, or a few of these songs that, that you've written or reworked uh, a Christian's daily prayer, all praise to him, dear refuge of my weary soul. Uh, probably the, the one that, that uh, most churches I would guess sing the most, he will hold me fast. Jesus is mine. O God of mercy, hear our plea, see the dust and day arise and whatever my God ordains is right. Matt, thank you for these songs you've written and co-written. Uh, what a gift they are to the church. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man. Yeah. So really, uh, what what are your convictions behind your music? What 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 drives your inspiration behind these songs? Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, and and brother, I'm just so encouraged that you've looked the songs up. That's yeah. uh, that's encouraging to my soul. So uh, praise God for that. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for your kind words. Uh, I really started writing melodies for my own devotional sake, uh, for my own struggles with doubt and fear. Uh, wanting to know Jesus better and love him more. Uh, it would just help me to sit at the piano and kind of play and think. And I like old hymns. Um, I like being able to sing them. So um, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul was the, was the first one that I wrote a tune to. There are other good tunes that are out there. Uh, so I, I do not mean for my tune to be in competition with any of the other good melodies that have been written. Because uh, I really wrote it just for myself uh, and for my wife. We were going through a difficult season. Um, uh, there was a trial that we were facing and, uh, God was very kind to, and the words of that song just ministered to us. Um, and I shared the tune with Mark and he thought it would be an encouragement to the congregation. Uh, so the church sang it and, uh, people seemed encouraged, uh, by the words. Uh, and so that, that was the whole point is, is there a way I can get these words into the mouths of, of people that I love that I care for? Uh, so most, most of my songwriting still kind of moves in that direction. It starts with me, or it should start with me. I always want that to be the case, that it's, it's my own expression of, of devotion or, or, or lament uh, or confession, whatever it might be, to the Lord. Um, and then uh, I want to see this congregation built up. And singing with this congregation is sweet, and it's been one of the most encouraging things to my soul as I've sought to follow Christ. And so... Uh, if I can write a song that's singable for this church, uh, that helps my brothers and sisters here follow Jesus, that then I've sort of, that's, then that's, a, to me, that song's a success. Um, and I, you know, I, I write a lot of, I've, I've, now that I've tried, kind of gotten into it and enjoy it, and I've gotten, I've met some mentors who have helped me along in songwriting, I'm, I'm trying to write more and be disciplined about it. And there's definitely a lot of garbage that I've written, you know, that I haven't shared with the church. Like, that should go straight into the trash can and not see the light of day. I'll try again tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, then the fact that any of these songs would be shared more broadly uh, uh, at, a, at a conference like T4G, that's just a bonus. You know, and if, if other people who I don't even know uh, have been encouraged by them, uh, such as yourself, I mean, I know you, but we don't know each other all that well. Uh, so to me, that's just, well, God gets all the glory for that. I wasn't setting out to do that. I hope the songs are encouraging. Uh, just, just pray for me to be faithful as a writer, uh, for, for the sake of my own heart and for the sake of my congregation. Mm, that's great, man. Thank you so much for that. And, and for, for all of the time that you spend in crafting these songs. So do you, how much mm -hmm. time weekly do you devote to writing and, uh, composing? It just varies. I mean, I, I, I have a mantra that I repeat to myself, always be writing. 
Uh Uh, But that could be starting a new song. That could be working on a song that's kind of in in process. That could be polishing a song, sort of late stages, like figuring out like the very best word for each slot or finalizing the melody. And then that can also involve time that I spend uh, these days, uh, maybe sharing the songs or trying to get them out there or thinking about ideas for recording them or or, or asking my friends who do more recording if they want to record them. You know? um, so uh, making those sorts of phone calls. Uh, but no, yeah, so it just, it just depends on the week. But uh, I'm, I'm always trying to have a few different songs at various stages of that process. But it's, it's very much something I do on the side. You know, my main work is serving this congregation, mm. uh, all the administrative work I do, plus just discipling people, preparing teaching that I do. Uh, and then I do get to work on my songwriting uh, as part of my job. Uh, the pastors here have graciously allowed me to spend a little bit of time on it, which I'm super thankful for. Um, but it, it's it's kind of a palate cleanser for me. It's a way that I can help to refocus my mind and heart, and it's it's restful for my soul to to work on that just from time to time. Wow. Well, yeah, no doubt you're serving CHBC, but but you're also serving many other churches uh, and the conferences where those those mm-hmm. songs are are sang. So. Uh, so, man, uh, there's been a buzz here lately, whether in articles or podcasts, uh, and a conversation forming around what you do with popular songs. Um, these these songs that churches are uh, are wanting to sing, but but maybe they're um, some theological concerns. So, I'm grateful for the conversation and uh, what it seems like a, a, a more and more folks are becoming um, interested in talking about this. Um, but what, what's your take on what we should do with the popular songs? Um, should we wholesale, just steer clear of, uh, of, of these churches um, that may have you know, theological concerns? Or uh, should we be discerning and pick and choose based on each individual song? Great question. Uh, difficult conversation. It's going to probably depend on the song. It's going to depend a lot on your church, how mature they are, what their kind of associations are that your folks might have with whoever's writing a song or producing a song. I basically just point people to Bob Coughlin's article on this because he has a piece at his blog that I just basically agree with every word of. So I don't reinvent the wheel because I do get asked that question. I just say, hey, do you know Bob Coughlin has a great article on that? Here you go. So if you're listening to this, I'm sure you could look up Bob's site and, and find that. But but basically, at the, at the end of the day, the, the principle is that songs teach. Every song we pick is a theology lesson. That doesn't mean every one of our songs needs to be really long and dense. Uh, the Psalms, I think, provide a good model for us. Many Psalms are long, uh, but there are some Psalms that are short. Uh, there are some Psalms that are more devotional. There are some Psalms that have a lot of repeated phrases. Um and so that's that's helpful for us. Uh, so I think you know you here we sing short, simple, modern songs from time to time. We sing "I Love You, Lord." We sing "Glorify Your Name." We sing "We Will Glorify." These are good songs. They're orthodox. They're true. Uh, and there's a good balance and sweetness that comes when you've just sung you know seven verse. My song is love unknown, rich theology, ancient language. It's, you know, but to follow that up with, I love you, Lord, there's nothing wrong with that. And actually, it might be wise, uh, or I, at least I hope it is, because we, we, we'll do something like that from time to time. Um, so you, you want to you wanna consider each song and what is it teaching? And every 
song that we choose, you know, there's a thousand songs we're not choosing. We're, we're rejecting a bunch of songs in that process because our people can really only get to know so many songs well. Uh, so I think we should only teach the best. And then we have to decide, well, what is, what is the best for our congregation? What's going to get them through all the different contours of a systematic theology so that we have songs that are touching all the major heads of doctrine? Um, yeah, and if there's certain songwriters or churches that are putting out music and we have theological concerns about those ministries, then I think it just comes down to how broadly is that ministry known? How broadly is their error known? Um, is there a way to do one song from that ministry that may be orthodox without endorsing the whole ministry? And I just don't know. It's probably going to depend how sensitive your folks are. Um, but what I would say is there are so many quality songs out there. Uh, and if if our churches are the primary place where someone is learning a song, in other words, they're learning it just because they come week in and week out, not because they're hearing it on the radio. You know, If you do a song often enough, your people will learn it. Uh, so even if they, they're not being played on any quote unquote Christian radio station anywhere, they can, your folks can still learn a song. Uh, so I don't think we need to feel like we must follow, uh, the radio playlists just because the song is out there. Now, you know, songs that are out there, they may be popular for good reason. There's nothing wrong with a song being popular. You know, I think in Christ alone is very popular. I wish more churches would sing it, you know? Uh, so I think it just requires wisdom and, uh, that's why you have elders, uh, so I don't think it should just be the music folks making a decision. I think the elders, uh, those who are qualified to teach, the pastors of a church should in some sense have oversight over the kind of master list of songs that a church does. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So uh, last question for uh, your work for the church. In looking at the credits for your songs, um, there are a number of women that I noticed who wrote the lyrics back in the 1800s that you're working with. Um, so in a, in a space that seems largely dominated by men, is there a rich history of Christian women who've, who've authored music that maybe most of us would be surprised to learn about? Oh, that's a great question. I would probably need to do more research on that to know in terms of the total number of hymns. Certainly there's, there's several sisters over the years. The Lord has blessed as poets, hymn writers, uh, I think we can use their material uh, with good profit spiritually. So Anne Steele, uh, her stuff's really good. Uh, I mean, lots of churches are familiar with the songs of Fanny Crosby. Uh, and certainly some of, some of her songs are, are, are well-known uh, and well-loved. Uh, I think certainly she has some that are better than others. Uh, but I think that's probably true of most of us, except for maybe Watts and Charles Wesley, who just wrote, you know, kind of 400 amazing songs each. Uh, most hymn writers are probably going to have, they're probably going to write, you know, dozens of songs, but then there, there may be two to four of them that really stand the test of time. Uh, but yeah, I would cer certainly encourage folks to, to research hymns written by women, uh, see what's out there that's good and, and edifying. I've certainly been edified by reading through Anne Steele's stuff. She was, she was certainly a, a uh, you know, she had certainly faced a lot of loss and, and trial, and you see that in her hymns. And I think whatever we can do to recover more of a sense of lament in the church today is always going to be helpful. We see that reflected in the Psalms. Uh, Jesus promises we'll have trouble in this life. So we do have victory in Jesus, uh, but our experience of that victory in this life is sometimes mixed. Uh, so songs that people can sing when they're struggling against temptation, when they are waiting and yearning for heaven, when they're dealing with the pain of this life, I love Carl Truman's little article, What Can Miserable Christians Sing, uh, where he basically makes that point. Um, so yeah, yeah. so you've, you've, you've noticed that well. Those, I've learned a lot from uh, those, those sisters uh, 
from the past who have, who have written these sorts of prayers to God. Amen. Well, I'll, uh, I'll link Coughlin's article and, uh, and you said Truman's article. Uh, I'll, I'll look that up as well and uh, put those in the, in the show notes. Um, so last section here, uh, your work outside the church, how Matt, how does worship broadly impact your evangelism and discipleship? So in, in, again, thinking of worship as broadly or as narrowly as you'd, as you'd like to, uh, to comment on. Yeah. Wonderful question. I mean, it, it should be impacting it all the time and in, in a thousand little ways, uh, worship, especially corporate worship, where we're sort of intentionally gathering to think about the Lord, praise him should impart to us a God centered, God saturated view of reality, uh, that I should take with me as I'm talking to my three-year-old daughter about the Lord as you know, yesterday I'm meeting up with an agnostic guy for coffee to talk about the reliability of scripture. And ultimately that conversation shouldn't just be me trying to persuade him. Um, it should, it should be recognizing that, Hey, outside of the work of the Lord, everyone's natural state is idolatry. Uh, we're all false worshipers. Uh, that's what we need to be saved from. So if evangelism is really a sort of a quest to break down idols, um, and discipling is really a process of weaning us from the idols of this world and of our hearts, uh, so that we are consistently adoring and being satisfied by the one true God. Uh, I, that's, that's all sounding a little bit abstract. I, I should think more about, you know, how it plays out in everyday life for me, but I, I do think you can't escape the fact that we are worshipers that's great. Uh, and that's going to affect everything we do. That's great. So, as a father and a husband, um, I've read a lot of uh, encouraging things from uh, various brothers on uh, family worship. Uh, is, is there anything in particular that the Merkers do uh, uh, every week as, uh, as a family uh, that, that is um, your effort at teaching your children how to worship? Nothing unusual. Uh, we sing with our daughter before bed every night. Uh, you know, we teach her hymns. We sing scripture songs. We sing slugs and bugs. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we at, at, at the breakfast table, we read through a, a children's Bible and pray. Uh, it's, it's just all that basic stuff. I, I'd love any other ideas you have. I, I, I don't feel that's an area I'm particularly strong in. My kids are young, so hoping to grow in that. That's great. No, uh, Randall, good game. I, I love what he's doing. And uh, there may his tribe increase writing for children and families. That's that's a, a much needed area. Oh, it's catchy, and especially the the scripture songs. I mean, my daughter was singing one of those this morning, and it's it's, it's getting it stuck into her brain. So that's right. Very grateful for that. That's great. That's great. So, Matt, what are you working on right now? Anything in particular? In terms of uh, songwriting, or uh, any, yeah, any projects or, or songwriting uh, that you'd like to mention? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, thanks for for asking, because I'll ask you and your, your listeners for prayer. I'm. I'm trying to finish up a song on the Beatitudes. Right. Uh, I'm trying to finish up a song on Psalm 130. Uh, I'm trying to finish up a song on the incommunicable attributes of God. Mm. Uh, so his sort of self-existent nature, his eternal nature, sort of uh, oh, very much along the lines of immortal, invisible, God only wise. Um, okay. Those are a few songs I'm trying to finish up at the moment. Um I am uh, doing some speaking later on in the year and uh, really wanting to address the topic of how the doctrine of the local church shapes the way that we approach corporate worship. Mm -hmm. 
Um, because I think having the having the right having biblically informed intuitions and instincts about what the church is makes a huge difference to the way we structure our gatherings and what we expect from those. Wow! Uh, so if we understand that the church is a called out nation, mm-hmm. it's an outpost of the kingdom of God. It is a family. It is a temple where God dwells. All these biblical images and realities about the church that's going to affect what we do when we gather. Uh, so should we treat our worship services as basically a concert uh, to attract people in the neighborhood? You know, that, that's how churches sometimes seen, and that, that may be an oversimplification, but I think uh, understanding the doctrine of the church helps us to see that when we gather, we are fundamentally meeting as a family to praise God and to do one another good. Oh, that's great. Uh, and, and there's a sort of commitment entailed with being a part of a church that changes the way we approach actually the worship gathering. We come not so much to be entertained or not even so much to receive a spiritual jolt of inspiration coming down from the front. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that many of us as evangelicals approach worship services that way, that I'm like kind of God tank is empty. I'm going to turn up in church. Mm. And this sort of inspiration is going to float across me from the stage through the reverb of the guitars. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that that's what anyone's actually saying, but we, we sort of act like it. Yeah. And then I'll walk out full again. And it's, it's true that when we gather with God's people, we should be encouraged. We should be refreshed. Amen to all of that. But I think most fundamentally, uh, we're not coming to be served, but to serve, yeah. to serve Jesus and to serve one another. That's why it's called a worship service after all. Mm. So as as you can hear with my rambling on this, I'm, I'm trying to think on this and connect some dots. Uh, I may try to do some more writing on this in the future. Just pray for me in that. I'm hoping to speak about that uh, at SING, uh, the Getty Worship Conference in Nashville in a few months. So I'm going to start working on that talk soon. And so that's that's one major kind of thinking, writing, speaking focus I have right now. Oh man, that's fantastic. I, I want to see that when that's all put together. That is, uh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to encourage uh, everyone to visit mattmerkermusic.com. I'll put a, a link in the show notes. Matt, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much.